This is the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are pleased to have you join us as we offer up God's Word as the necessary food for His people. The Word of God finds its fullest expression in the person of Jesus Christ. May He be exalted before you today. Now, here is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. In order to prepare ourselves for the great suffering that we may experience in life, and God promises the Christian they will experience suffering, the best thing to do is to remember his story of his salvation. Remember that it was a sovereign act of God controlling history. Remember that it was a story of winners and losers, and you're one of the winners. Remember also that it is a story of something that God did all by himself, by his own power. And remember that it's a story that gives testament to the fact that he loves you. That's his story. You tell your testimony, and what you're saying is that you're one of those individuals who escaped the darkness that others are still bound in. We have been rescued from sin's condemnation. We have been unchained from its power. We have been forgiven and cleansed and declared children of God. We have a history of I was and now am. I was a sinner under God's wrath. I'm now a child of God and uh, heir of His glory. I was facing endless torment. I now claim endless glory. I was in the possession of only my good works, which were few and weak and tainted with my sin. I now possess the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone, which is more powerful than death itself. I once knew moments of happiness. I now have endless joy. I was lost and now I'm found. Blind, but now I see. That's the story. Let's look at the third verse. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. Note two more lessons here from the history of God's saving work. Third, in the history of God's saving work, please note, God did all the saving. God did it all. In your own story of coming to Christ for salvation, take note that this was not the result of your energy or your power or your savvy thinking. There was no heroics on your part. It was all of God. If you tell the story, you went through a period of searching, maybe. You asked a lot of questions, maybe. You spent a night and a day reading the Bible or you went to some church service and heard a good message or you came through some sickness that softened you up, or you struggled in conscience with some sin. You can testify of some part that you played, some book that you read, some thought that you had, but in the end, you know it had nothing to do with you. Not at all. You'd have missed it completely. Had God not stopped you, you'd have driven off the bridge into the creek God had not held you back in the mud. This was the work of God alone. Israel was a nation who had won a number of battles. They flashed their swords, they gave their horn blasts, they rushed upon their enemies and they put them to flight. But they knew that God had won the victory. They had enough occasions in the midst of their battles when they knew that there was no other explanation for the outcome of those battles than that God had won it. God had let them pull out the sword and confront the foe 
only as God's way to give them some part in the story, but it was all of His work, all of His work. We just read about that in our scripture reading this morning, didn't we? In Joshua chapter 10. As it was being read, what I noticed was some of you just had to bust out with amen at the words. Joshua's men have defeated Jericho. They've been told by God to, for seven days to go around the city of Jericho, march around the city of Jericho, and after each march to blast their horns. On the very last day, they march around Jericho seven times. These massive walls, they blow their horns, an earthquake comes. The walls come crashing down, and God gives them the victory. They go on there to I. They think this little town, they'll take it with no problem whatsoever, but they're defeated initially because there's sin among the camp. But they find their defeat. They defeat I. They go from there and they hear the message of some Gibeonites. And by the way, the Gibeonites had deceived the Jews and the nation of Israel of bringing them into a covenant by giving them the impression that they were foreigners traveling through the land when they actually had their own armed city. But the Jews had entered into the covenant. They'd given their word and so they stuck to it. And God seemed to bless them for that. The Gibeonites cried because... Five kings in that region find that the Gibeonites have come into league with Israel and they think, let's take the Gibeonites down first. They're the weakest link. And so they go after the Gibeonites. Joshua and his army go after these five kings and their armies. They attack them with the sword. The armies are put to flight, the armies of these five kings. And they seem to be faster than the pursuing armies of the Israelites. And even though they're being destroyed, they seem to be getting away. The heavens open up hailstones come down from the sky and obliterate, knock the armies of the five kings to smithereens. They stop, turn around to face the Israelite army. It's better to face the Israelite swords than God's hailstones. They'll fight until night comes, and in the darkness of night, they'll escape and make their escape. Joshua sees what's taking place, cries out, God, hold back the sun! God does. He holds back the sun until all the five armies of the five kings are destroyed. What do you learn from a story like that? What do you learn from that providential account? A God who can send down hail from the sky and hold up the sun in its place does not need the little armies of Israel to gain any victories for himself. They are just agents of his work in history. Salvation is completely and totally of God. And your story of salvation should remind you and all who hear it that you had nothing to do in your saving. Nothing at all. It was the, all the arm of the Lord at work on your behalf. Here's the fourth thing. Note here, there is one strange explanation for why God saved your fathers and why God saved you. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. This may seem like a proud statement, but it seems to me to be the humblest option that I can find to give explanation for my salvation. I was not saved because of anything I did, not because of any excellence in my character and in my power of choosing, I was not saved because God figured out that I was going to pick him, and so he decided that he liked me for being such a one who would pick him. God didn't react to my choosing of him by choosing me. No, there's only one humble explanation for my saving. It's this. God delighted in saving me. He lovingly selected me for himself. 
in the same way that he lovingly selected Israel. Not because it was great or noble or powerful or lovely. What does God say in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 7? He says, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other peoples that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. In fact, God will remind Israel on other occasions, you are a stiff-necked people. And why does he love them? Because. Because why? Because. Because. And why does he love me or choose me or call me or redeem me or regenerate me? John says in John 15, 16, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Why did he do that? Because he did. Jesus makes it clear in John chapter 6 that this was all of his loving choice and work. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Why did he draw me? Why did he draw you? Do you think you're better suited than anyone else? There's only one humble answer to give. God loved me because he loved you. And love has reasons all its own that we will never fully fathom or understand. We rightly think, we rightly have the thought that we could have been born in another place, in another time, even to another family. Admit it, you've thought it before in your mind. It expresses itself in your conversation with other individuals or with yourself. God breathed spirit into the clay that became Adam, and He breathed spirit into the rib that became Eve, and He breathed your spirit into the zygote that became you. Our instinct tells us, our own instincts tell us that we could have landed in another space, in another place, but that God chose where we would rise, to whom we would be born. He chose, before I ever did any choosing, or expressed any noble abilities, or revealed my unique strain of rebellion where I would land. And he put me in a home where my mom read to me the Bible. And my dad told me stories of God's saving grace. He put me in a family that had a heritage that went all the way back to the cross and all the way back to an empty tomb and passed that to a boy who defeated a giant with a slingshot and another boy who rode out an infanticide in a basket made of bulrushes. And I was a strange object of his delight. And I came early to hear of his saving grace because he delighted in me and loved me. And I don't know why. Because, because, and why are you here to hear this wonderful story? Of all the people on the face of the earth, and I've seen so many of them, 
Why are you here to hear this? Because God chose it so in love. It's the humblest answer I can find. Now listen. This same God who did all this is going to disappoint you. He is not always going to show up so powerfully in your history. For the church, if you study its history, there have been times and there have been places when and where they seem to dip off the screen of God's concern. When Rome fell and the vandals and hordes came into the Roman world, the church became subject to repeated attacks by these vandals. And at that time, the church adopted a litany that it lifted up to God regularly in prayer. It was Psalm 44. So the day may come, and you will have to tell God how bad it is, and you will have to ask God to wake up and ask Him why He's sleeping. But when the day comes, remember what He has done, that He is in absolute control, and that you have a story to tell because of his great love. And you'll be able to say with Paul, because of that love, before whatever he brings you to, as a lamb to the slaughter even, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208 331 4096. Until the next broadcast, the Lord bless you.